Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to So That Happened, the HuffPost politics podcast about things that happened. And in the last week, we had a surprising number of speeches by President Donald Trump. It was kind of a blah week, honestly. But joining me uh, to discuss this in studio is my colleague, Elise Foley. Hello. Thank you for being here. And we have a very special guest, former HuffPost intern, Dante Stallworth. Dante, thank you so much for joining us. I am excited to be here with you both. It is so great to have you back. So um, I I undersold that a little bit. I I think Donald Trump's speech on Tuesday in Arizona was actually pretty incredible. And more than any other speech he's given, had a lot of people just saying, man, he is crazy. (laughs) He is just crazy. And so, uh, dear listener, I wanted to give you a little bit of a flavor of this speech. Uh, I have it printed here. Uh, one of the things he said at the beginning, you know, he had his teleprompter going and he said, our movement is based on love. And I thought that was, you know, a pointed effort to not sound crazy. And then he went on like a 10 minute tangent about how the media are liars. And he then he lied about the really weird stuff he said in favor of white supremacists. Lied about the media lying. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Let's set the stage for a minute. He's mad because the media has been accurately describing his statements, uh, Elise, in the the wake of the Charlottesville terror attack by neo-Nazis and the KKK. Yeah. I think that he thinks that he didn't get enough credit for... uh what he said and he thinks that his condemnation was just fine why are all these people giving me such a hard time about it why did people not think it was good enough and he feels like that's coming from the media which i mean but a lot of that criticism is coming from the media but it's also coming from republican senators and republican members of congress it's kind of a widespread thing but it's it's easiest to talk about the media being terrible he loves he loves to do that and i think his supporters like it too being in the media, it's a little weird because if you simply quote him and then the provide the you know context of the moment and maybe a little bit of historical context, just doing that, it's going to look like criticism. Yeah. Because yeah. he is basically standing athwart human progress. Uh, and that that's what happens when you say nice things about the KKK, who you know everyone is supposed to hate. If you point that out, it it sounds like criticism. So what he did was he printed out his speech from before. And he's like, I'm going to read this to you. And (laughs) and, uh, so he he quotes his own speech and he reads it, say, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence. That's me speaking on Saturday. And so this was clever. What he had actually said on Saturday was we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. Dante, 
how can you get away with it? The people in the uh, audience seems pretty happy. Yeah, they do. I think whatever Donald Trump says, um, it's always that the media is attacking me. And I think that he loves to play the victim. And uh, and 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 there and unfortunately there have been uh, a couple of stories that have been false about him uh, or about his connection to Putin. There's obviously still a lot that we haven't seen yet, but there's a lot of smoke right now, and so he takes that and twists it to his advantage, and he uses that as playing the victim card. And so his followers, the people that support him, are like 100% in on that. And so whenever there's a truth about him, which, again, these are quotes coming from his own mouth, right? But people will just continually find ways to skirt, uh, find, find ways to kind of get around uh, any, any blame and place it on the media, place it back on someone else. And they never take responsibility for the things that actually come out of his own mouth. Yeah, the, the what about game uh, is a game that will never be stopped. Right. Uh, it's a game that is totally allowed, uh, unfair as it may be. You know, there there has been a lot of talk about people deserting Trump. His poll numbers are slowly eroding over the course of his first term, but those polls do also show that he's pretty much good with his Republican voters who like him. So moving on, uh, that wasn't the only thing wacky about Trump's speech, which, like Donald Trump, I have printed out. <laughs> We're going to be here for hours. <laughs> um, a little later on, this is actually something he used to do during the campaign every time, which was to say, uh, I'll look at the media right there, and he'd point to the bank of cameras and say, you know, they won't show the crowd. And it was never true. First of all, there is always a camera that its job is to stay focused on the speaker. And especially when that speaker is the president, there, you know, it's it's uh, makes sense. I think, right? Yeah, the guy. <laughs> I that, feel fine about that. The, the entire reason for the event that all the people are gathered for, someone's someone keeps on. But the, the cameras do show the crowds, uh, because we, you know, you you've seen you've seen the video of the crowds. Um, so he'll say they won't show the crowds, and then at the speech on Tuesday in Arizona, he said, "Oh boy, those cameras are going off. Oh wow." Why don't you just fold them up and take them home? Oh, those cameras are going off. Wow. He has amazing vision. He can see from the stage the light going off on the cameras. I mean, it's just well, crazy he's... because he's gotten um, the his speeches during the campaign were aired live all the time, more so than anybody else. So this guy is not hurting. for Cameras are not turning off when Trump talks. Well, to, but to be fair, at least. <laughs> To, to be fair, I think I know where he you're did going. see. <laughs> he did stare at the sun. He stared <laughs> at the sun. By God, I mean, is is this guy even human? Like I he's like a I super president. Stones. I looked at the sun. You know so what? he may have seen those cameras. <laughs> he go stared off. at this. He stared at the sun, and he said, "Come back, sun. <laughs> go away, eclipse." And it worked. It did work. Uh, so at least you're right. For him to be able to know that the cameras were going off, he would have had to be able to see the little red light. Right? That would be the theory? I think so. Uh, yeah, he said they're they're very nervous to have me on live television. That's, you know, I think TV loves you more than anybody. Oh, yeah. Donald Trump. Uh, I thought that was just strange that he would uh, concoct this fantasy in front of everyone that he could somehow tell cameras were turning off. But you're right. He's been like saying that feet. for ages. Right. That's so that his things. Right. There's, there's a, I don't know where he came up with it. A but. new twist on his riff. I, I think in general people react strongly to this rally because it was similar to his campaign rallies, but 
up, amped up to 11. And he's the president now. Now, here's where we get uh, in the speech to some, some serious stuff. There is this sheriff, or there was this sheriff in Arizona named Joe Arpaio, who is convicted of crimes related to him doing his job racistly by, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, illegally, allegedly illegally uh, harassing and detaining uh, Latinos who he suspected, uh, often wrongly, I think, of being undocumented immigrants. So somehow there had been in the uh, in the news cycle this notion that Trump would use his pardon power to pardon Joe Arpaio, who was appealing his case. Uh, and so people were wondering, oh, my God, he's going to go to Arizona and he's going to do it right then on stage, which he could. I mean, that's this is a, a in the Constitution. Presidents can pardon people. And so he stops what he's saying. He says, uh, by the way, I'm just curious. Do the people in this room like Sheriff Joe? Woo! That, that is literally what happened. People were like, yes, we do, Mr. <laughs> President. So Sheriff Joe, uh, was Sheriff Joe convicted for doing his job? Applause. He should have a jury. But you know what? I'll make a prediction. I think he's going to be just fine. Okay? Applause. Elise? Yeah. <laughs> That happens. Uh, Can you catch yeah, us up so, a little sure. bit on what Sheriff, Sheriff Joe's so, in hot water, but he's not like he's, in prison or anything. No, no. So he uh, was convicted of criminal uh, contempt, contempt of court because he violated this court order from 2011 that basically said you aren't allowed to racially profile people anymore. Uh, and then his uh, people continued to do what they were doing before. His deputies um, out there on yeah, the highway. Yeah, he claimed that uh, he didn't know that they weren't supposed to or something like that, um, but admitted that they were doing what they weren't supposed to be doing. But he has this very, very long history of uh, he's very proud of his efforts to get rid of undocumented people and his sweeps uh, and is famous, uh, infamous for putting his in, the inmates in his custody uh, into pink underwear to humiliate them. And he's got his tent city, called himself America's toughest sheriff. So this is a guy that uh, has but been very open with the fact that he has uh, some, I think, level of uh, racial <laughs> animus toward Latinos. Yes, uh, a little bit. Yeah. No, he lost his election. Yes, he did. He's not the so current sheriff of Maricopa some people County. There, some people at the speech love him, but not uh, enough to keep him in office. And then it came out after this that Trump, had, the White House has drafted the order to pardon him. This, I mean, this is a, a, a very noisy dog whistle I mean, for there's white also, supremacy. I, I, I hesitate to sound like I'm feeling bad for him, but man, this guy's getting really jerked around Trump just like playing with him on stage and being like maybe I will maybe I won't like that's, well, that's it's, a, it's a reality TV show it's for yeah. him it's I mean, a reality totally, TV show I think totally. this was very similar to uh, a reality TV show he loves this will will he won't he well what if he's not pardoned could he go to prison this this old man well <laughs> I guess we'll see uh, the sentencing hasn't happened yet it's gonna happen in the that's early what we're October. waiting for sentencing so we're waiting on so it is possible but yeah. uh, that's that's the thing that Trump could uh, just throw I think the fact that it's a contempt of a court order uh, has a special resonance here because the question about the Trump administration early on when there was the Muslim man like is he gonna defy court orders on this it's the kind of thing that people are on watch for when you're worried about rule of law and, and constitutional crisis. Right. So far, the Trump administration has not flouted uh, a court order, so it's been good. But you know, pardoning Sheriff Joe 
will uh, will be evocative of that kind of thing. So uh, the other newsworthy thing in this uh, momentous Trump speech from Tuesday, his continued effort to attack senators in his own party who he needs in order to uh, you know, theoretically pass the Republican agenda that he has said he wanted to pass. I guess maybe we shouldn't take him at his word for that. But he said, uh, nobody wants to talk about your other senator who's weak on borders, weak on crime, so I won't talk about him. And this is clearly a reference to Jeff Flake, uh, the junior senator from Arizona. Uh, See, I haven't mentioned any names, Trump said. So now everybody's happy. Um, So Trump met with Jeff Flake's primary opponent, who is uh, a much more right-wing type person. If Jeff Flake loses his primary, the thinking goes a Democrat would have a better chance of taking that seat than he normally would. So potentially a, a great <laughs> Not strategic. a great long game. Yeah, not a great long game. And Arizona, you know, is only getting heavier, like a larger and larger Latino population. Obviously not all Latinos vote Democratic, but most of them do. Um, so I think, you know, Trump is likely to mobilize a lot of people anyway. So, yeah, uh, it would be great news, I think, for Democrats if Jeff Flake lost his primary. So I don't think Donald Trump thinks about these things no, in uh, that <laughs> intense a way. I think he just Jeff Flake has been going after him a lot. And uh, I I don't think he appreciates that. He's not going to let that go unanswered. Yeah, Jack, well, Jeff, well, let's, uh, Jeff, Jeff Flake crapped all over him in a book. Yeah, that's basically what we're talking about here. Jeff Flake is is uh, reliable on Trump agenda stuff. Jeff Flake was not one of the guys who voted against Trump care. Right. So uh, this is does not seem to be incredibly clever, uh, but I think Donald Trump was really happy with himself. Uh, so we're happy for him. Maybe uh, maybe Jeff Flake feels like he's trying to reset the Republican Party and not allow it to go all the way right or far further right than than what Donald Trump has been. Uh, it, it kind of seems that way. You hear a lot of a lot of those senators and people in on like Republican pundits are talking about this is not Republican values. What the Trump administration has has been doing and what you know all the uh, the the uh, executive orders that they've passed and just their essentially his domestic agenda. They're saying that this is not uh, a true Republican conservative voice. And so maybe I, I look at it in kind of twofold. Maybe like Jeff Flake's trying to pull the party back uh, away from the far right. Uh, and maybe trying to galvanize a new uh, kind of not a new Republican Party, but just bring them back to what what they kind of uh, stand for as a party. But but also, too, I look at Donald Trump as, you know, like you said, he's not I don't think he's thinking about these things in depth. He wants to be president. He doesn't want to govern. And he wants to be the reality TV show host, the pre- which is for him, the president of, of the United States. And everyone else, he can fire. He can do whatever he wants to do to it. And so he's explicitly said that he does, that he's had much much better time not being president than he has being president. So I think that he's trying to morph those two worlds together and figure out a way where he can have his CEO mentality of uh, of a reality kind of TV show host and treat America as it's a game because it's not. I mean, again, you know, he's talking about 
uh, Kim Jong-un as being a friend one day or, or being someone that he would be open to speaking to. And then the next day he's talking <laughs> about uh, fire and fury on the North Koreans. So, and then you don't, you, again, it's a game, that's a game show. That's real life. You don't da- do that. Dante, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Jeff Flake is just one part of a larger pattern that has become clearer and clearer in recent weeks where Republican senators are saying mean things about Trump uh, and are opposing him. And it's an encouraging sign for people who are hoping that a co-equal branch of government would show up and, uh, you know, make the founding fathers look smart by preventing the executive branch from doing terrible things. So I, it's, it's been encouraging. And the, the most important sign of that this week was uh, Mitch McConnell in this incredible New York Times story privately complaining. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. Uh, and private, Privately complaining that he doesn't think Trump can finish his term, that the, that, that the Trump administration is totally doomed. Uh, and then... That's so weak to me, though. And then, and then McConnell and the White House both put out statements that couldn't have confirmed the story more perfectly. They're like, no, no, our aides are talking. We love each other. <laughs> right. We agree on certain things. We agree. <laughs> All but right, you're intentionally leaking that information, right? It, like that, that oh, shows oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that shows no moral courage. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna intentionally leak that, like come out and actually say it. Yeah, you know I, what think, I mean, I think it was so close to basically saying that that uh, you know you might as well. Well, anyway, we're gonna leave it there. Uh, we'll be right back. Dante Stallworth, Elise Foley, thank you for being here. We'll be right back. And we're back. This is Arthur Delaney. I am joined in studio by my colleague, Travis Waldron. And we have a special guest, Dante Stallworth, former NFL wide receiver, journalist, and White House communications director. Yes. I'm taking (laughs) over for Scaramucci now. Uh, You're the new Jared Kushner. (laughs) So the NFL players are continuing to kneel during the national anthem after this became a, a phenomenon last year and i wonder if our current politics is is uh contributing to the continued kneeling if it would be happening even if we didn't have like a white supremacist president dante <laughs> uh yeah i believe so i think when you when you look at how professional athletes have been uh throughout the decades ha- have been uh really ostracized for speaking for daring or having the gall to speak out about uh, political issues, especially when it's those that people don't agree with, they're all they're all for it. When you share the same views, but when they share different views with you, then it's then it's shut up, just play football or whatever your respective sport is. So, I think the fact that that climate has uh, really began to uh, heighten since, I mean, it's again, it's happened, it's been happening for decades, but especially now, especially especially you know in in recent uh, months, and especially within the last year uh, and and specifically with Colin Kaepernick himself take, deciding to take a knee um, in protest of uh, police brutality. But I think at the end of at the end of the day, when everything is uh, when everything is kind of being thrown at players like just shut up and play guys will guys will take exception to that. And not only will they take exception to that, you, we've seen. Recently, now there's many more guys that have been uh, deciding to protest alongside these other African American players. So, uh, 
we feel like we're brothers. You know what I mean? And and uh, you've, you've heard Chris Long of the Philadelphia Eagles talk about it with um, with Malcolm Jenkins. You, that that's your brother. That's you. You you are literally like a family. You feel like you're you're a family, and you're going to take care of your brother. You're going to support your brother, even if you don't agree with the method of how it's done. You under you are listening to his issues and understanding his problems and what he sees needs to be better in this society. In that's America. A, that's an interesting point, and one I'm curious about because obviously we've made a bunch of Colin Kaepernick, who last year for the 49ers kind of launched this whole thing during the preseason and then kept kneeling through the the remainder of the season. He was joined by a bunch of guys uh, from the the Dolphins, the Browns, you know, name the team. He was joined by them. I think one of the, not to cut you off, Travis, but it's interesting to me. One of the things that people seem to forget is that he didn't say anything for two weeks. He mm-hmm. did this. Right. He did this. Right. No one, until someone from the someone media had noticed, noticed. finally. Uh-huh. And then that's when he started to talk about it. So he was, he was, you talk about a peaceful protest. I mean, I don't know how much right. more peaceful you can get than that, but right. sorry, continue, and, brother. And so... You know, guys joined him then, and and he came out. He's a free agent. He came out. He said he probably wouldn't continue protesting this year, but now he still doesn't have a job. Does the fact that he doesn't have a job, is that why so many more of these guys are doing it now? Because some of them are – some of them are guys who did it before, Malcolm Jenkins that you mentioned, Michael Bennett from the Seahawks. But there's also this new round. And, right. we, you know, we saw right. the Browns over the weekend right. or right. this week, 12 guys on just on the Browns. Is there kind of a galvanizing effect among players? Without a doubt. I mean, you, you, hit, you hit the nail right on the head. There is, uh, again, there's this sense that, um, and especially in today's climate, there's this sense that people don't uh, want to hear what, what professional athletes are saying. Now, again, it's only the people that when they disagree with your views, and, and I've been one who has kind of stressed over the fact that, listen, it doesn't matter um, what your political views are, you should be able to speak out on them regardless of your occupation. And uh, and I and I've been on record and I've supported um, the forgot forgot his name, but the goalie from um, from the Boston Bruins, Tim Thomas. Tim Thomas, yeah, right. In 2011, he decided not to come to the White House because not and not just because of uh, he didn't agree with the president, but he he thought that the government itself, the government and all three uh, branches of government were taking away people's freedoms. And um, I, listen, I, I'm like, you know what, if that's your reason, that's fine. Right. Like, the, do do what you do, brother. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. We, we shouldn't stifle, we shouldn't try to stifle another citizen's opinion regardless of the platform that they have or regardless of how much money they make or how much money they don't make. Um, every Everyone should have a voice and everyone does have a voice, at least in this country. Do you think the protests are the reason Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job? Uh, it, it has to be. It, it it has to be, and I and I've I've tried to hold off on saying that um, for a while because everyone was freaking out, you know, in the first couple of days of free agency, and I remember I said something along the lines of, "Relax, it's got to run down. its course." This is right? this is this is the NFL, mm-hmm. you know, guys. Like even some of the unless you're like one of the top five, ten free agents, you're not going to get signed in the first day or the second day. It's going to take a few times. It's going to take a while. Teams have to see how their rosters are going to shake out, but. Now that we're here and and uh, we're we're closing in on the opening uh, week of the NFL 2017 season, and that kid's not on the roster, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> well, especially because as we've watched the preseason, I mean, we got guys like Blake Bortles and Chad Henney, and I mean, not not to like disparage either of those guys, but Colin Kaepernick, you know, granted the 49ers were awful last year; they yes, went two they and fourteen. But I don't think it was Colin Kaepernick's fault. <laughs> 
I mean, he he threw what sixteen touchdowns, yeah. four interceptions. Right. Sounds like a starts. damn good year to me. And I'm yeah, not, I'm, I mean, and you I'm know, he a... will look like I don't think anyone's going to confuse Colin Kaepernick with Tom Brady, or right. you know, even the Colin Kaepernick who took the 49ers to the Super Bowl right. in 2012. Right. He's not that player anymore. Um, but you know what? He's better than at least 50, 60 percent of the quarterbacks on NFL rosters right now. Oh, and no one can deny is, that. Uh, uh, 538 right? crunched the numbers in his quarterback rating in the low 60s is like around the middle of the pack. Right. And and so and, and so the, the argument, the argument that the reason why he's not on an NFL roster because he's not good enough. Again, are you fucking kidding me? Like that's that's complete bullshit. Anyone who says that is complete bullshit because. There's there's not much that I feel like I can speak on in this world and be at one thousand percent sure. I know wide receivers and I know quarterbacks. Those are two things that, without a doubt, no one can deny that I know. Colin Kaepernick should be on an NFL roster. While you have other guys, I'm not going to name names, but I don't have to. You guys know who they are, and this dude is literally like better than a number of quarterbacks. Not and even some starting quarterbacks again. And you've you've named a couple guys, so. To me, there is no reason why that he shouldn't be. If, if he was not protesting, uh, you know, if, if he was not protesting the national anthem and the reasons why he was protesting, I think that's one issue that kind of gets uh, a little foggy when people say the reason why he's not on an NFL ro- roster is because the NFL doesn't care about police brutality against African-Americans. I don't believe that's true, but I think it does say something to the the teams that that need a player like Colin Kaepernick who have not exhibited the courage to say, listen, even though I don't agree with the way that he's protesting, I agree with him uh, being able to do that on, on his own volition. That's that's his free will in this country. I don't agree with it, but hell, we need this dude on our team. And there are a number of owners who could have said that and, and have not said that because they are more concerned with, I, I believe, with uh, they're running a business. They're running, one of those they're running a, guy, a business. One of those is a, is a franchise that you played for. You know, one of the teams that he has been rumored linked to is mm-hmm. Baltimore, where you played. Mm-hmm. Um, John Harbaugh, who you played for, has come out and said that he, you know, this isn't a locker room where we can debate things, where right. where for sure all opinions are respected, and you know, we this isn't a locker room where we're just focused on football all the time. Like right. he loves politics, he, he loves history, that's, he's capable awesome. of discussing them, and you know, I wonder. You, you mentioned sort of the levels to this, right? right. Like it, it would seem to me that there are a lot of coaches that could look at this and say, you know what, maybe it's not my favorite thing, but if that's a quarterback that can help my team win, right. Let's sign him. Right. And that seemed to be what John Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsom, the GM for the Ravens were hinting at. Mm-hmm. And then there were these rumors that came down that the ownership said no. Yeah. And that, that seems to be the level to me that the, the football people. Right. Right. Would seem open to this, but the the business people are worried about the angry white fans. Well, aren't there back. other players just going to kneel anyway at this point? Yeah, is but they're it, not the how face stupid of is it. This? But they're not the face <laughs> of it. If the I Cleveland think. Browns are kneeling before a preseason game, aren't you just going to have a group of players at every game kneeling before every anthem? Yeah. In I, the Trump era, where the president is like. Saying nice things about Nazis and the KKK? <laughs> like, how hard is it to see? Well, the interesting thing about that, too, is that you mentioned Chris Long. Right. Who played football at the University of Virginia. Right. And right, he was he right. was supportive of guys doing this yeah. last year. But that actually, he said that actually motivated him, the violence at the rallies in 
in Charlottesville actually motivated him to step forward right. and support Malcolm Jenkins right. on the field in front of everybody. You know, it's it's interesting to me though how people are surprised that Nazis are marching in the streets. I mean, hell, there was literally an American Nazi organization in ni- in the 1930s. You know what I mean? While while Hitler was rising to power, so. I don't know why people are so surprised that the fascists and Nazi, literal literal Nazis have been in this country for decades. Well, they hadn't marched in a while. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the marching they, been, they had been hiding in their That is what corners. we're surprised about. That's true. Well, and the other thing, too, is that we wrote a story this morning. We published a story this week that, you know, this issue that Colin Kaepernick is actually trying to highlight hasn't gone away. How many in black the, people have been killed since he first? Two police have killed, I think, uh, at least two hundred and twenty-three black Americans in the three hundred and sixty-five days from his first protest on. Um, the like these issues, no matter what the NFL does, these issues, are, the problems are still occurring. Right, and Colin Kaepernick is uh, highlighting those. He's highlighting, the, the, you know, they're not going away. And on that point, and he's putting his money where his mouth is too. Right, and you know, this week he came out and he donated another $100,000 to different organizations. He's now up to, I think, 800000 out of the $1 million he pledged when he started protesting. You also were on Capitol Hill earlier this year with a group of players, including the aforementioned Malcolm Jenkins mm-hmm. and Anquan Bolden, who is now retired temporarily, perhaps. The GOAT. Um, what you know? Talk a little bit about that, because there's guys out here doing stuff, too, not just talking and kneeling and protesting. Right. I think uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say that Colin Kaepernick was the sacrificial lamb, but I mean, unfortunately, he's not on the roster. And again, we, we've already talked at length about why he's not on the roster and, and, and that's why he should be on an NFL roster. But I think when I look at what's going on and, and kind of how this thing started and the stance that Kaepernick took, the courage that it took for uh, a player to do that. Um, Again, whether you agree with the methods or not, the point that he was protesting something, peacefully protesting something, uh, police brutality in this country, and the fact that he was willing to take on whatever was going to come his way, which a lot of hell did, um, I I think that that made other players kind of be like, damn, man, well, if Cap's doing this, you know, I got to I got to start doing something. And I'm not saying Malcolm Jenkins and Anquan Bolden haven't been working on these issues before because they have <clears throat> they have been. They've made trips to um, Capitol Hill last year, last season on their bye week. Are you kidding me, dude? I'm trying to be on Mex- in Mexico on a beach chilling and relaxing. And, you know, all my all those hits my body's been taking. I'm trying to chill. These dudes were up here. These dudes were in, up in here Congress. in Congress in Washington, D.C. in the middle of the wintertime, dude. That that's commitment, and and that shows that a lot of a lot more players will continue to start carrying that torch, man. I think we look at players like uh, or, or guys like Muhammad Ali, guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, obviously Jim Brown, um, so many people that have come before us that 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 were going through some things. You know what I mean? The civil rights era was was a, was a tough time uh, for all black people. Uh, and particular athletes because they didn't they again they were trying to stifle uh, dissent on these issues and so 
to me, I think that the fact that 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 uh, Colin stepped forward in this generation of of, uh, of athletes and kind of took that torch and everybody else's uh, following that lead. I'm not saying they're following Colin Kaepernick, but they're they're understanding that this is a movement now. Mm-hmm. This is a wave That's of a- players that are ath- and professional athletes that are really starting to get into uh, political issues, and they're not going to stop. It's just going to get more and more intense. I, I specifically, what are the owners afraid of? There have been. Uh, some like radio call-in sports fans are like, you know what? I'm not going to watch the NFL. Yeah, anymore. there's been surveys. Sure, you're, sure you're there's not. been surveys that say they're not going to, which we know behavioral surveys, especially on fraught political topics, okay. are corporate not great. America bolted from the president's advisory panels. Guys who were terrified of taking a stand against the president. That's not even what is happening here. Right. The owners don't actually have to do or say anything. <laughs> and so they're so afraid that anyone will make a connection with with Kaepernick or whatever that they they won't even take you know an extremely rare player who is necessary to anything. Well, there's also a flip side to that too that we I mean we saw this week in New York City there was several hundred people rallying in favor of Kaepernick. If you go back and look at the um merchandise sales from last year. Right. Right. For a guy who went 2 and 14 right. and only threw 16 touchdowns and he's in like the top 30 of jersey sales. Like yeah. there's a base of support for Kaepernick right. that it's, they don't that when you when you say all these people are flooding, you know, going to run away from the NFL because of Colin Kaepernick, it doesn't acknowledge that there are fans which I think I'm not wrong when I say that I think the NFL probably has a a hard time acknowledging its black fan base generally. Um you know, they tend to Everything tends to be aimed at like kind of middle white America, even for the NFL. And well, I think to me, when I'm when I'm looking at this issue, I, I would like to look at it through the lens of uh, from for, for the NFL owners. They're looking at this thing like they're they're running a business, right? <clears throat> they're and I'm and this is this is my kind of my thoughts on it. They're running a business. They do they they're looking at Colin Kaepernick as and they're looking at everybody they pick as is is this going to affect my business overall in a positive or negative way um is it going to be in the plus or the minus the the fact that uh that the nfl ratings have gone down and no one can attest to exactly precisely what it is i think the fact that they have went they have went down and it went down um noticeably i think that's scaring some owners so do you think if this happened two years ago when the nfl ratings were still going up no matter what that maybe the response from owners is different. I, I think. I think the. I think the business. That's a great question. I, I mean, I can only speculate, obviously, but um, I, I think if business is good, and you know, they're looking at the plus minus. Um, but again, I, I don't think that the ones. You know, they haven't. There's no reason. I, I just can't. I can't say it enough. There's no reason why this kid should not be on an NFL roster. He's much more talented than a number of quarterbacks, and, and he should be on an NFL roster. So right now. one final quick question before that, because we know NFL season starts in two weeks. We know the re- the reality of the NFL is that guys get hurt, rosters turn over. Does Colin Kaepernick, in your estimation, get signed during this NFL season? Uh, if I was a betting man, I would say he does. I think I, I think, like you said, there's uh, guys who get hurt all the time, and quarterbacks typically typically are protected but with the NFL the way things are going man I if if there's a, if there's another quarterback that goes down 
then who are they going to pick up? Me? Right. Are they going to draft? Are they going to pick up me? Sign me off the street to play fucking quarterback? <laughs> I mean, who next? You know what I mean? Like, and 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 I said, you know, the Jay Cutler thing made sense. I get that, but the optics of that mm-hmm. uh, of a guy who had who in are, Miami, in Miami, who 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 explicitly said that his passion for the game, essentially said his passion for the game was no longer there, and they bring him off of the street, bring him out of retire, bring him out of the out of the uh, analyst booth, and bring him into that. Uh, the optics of that are horrible, but it makes sense as a football person I get that move but again who's next me you Travis I like this this was a bold prediction don't don't underestimate my cannon I'm sorry Travis get out of here (laughs) Dante Stallworth thank you for coming and making a bold prediction that someone in the NFL will uh, realize that their need for a quarterback is maybe outweighing their fear of offending a white supremacist somewhere (laughs) Uh, Travis Waldron thanks so much for coming in here thank you We'll be right back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We're back. This is Arthur Delaney. I'm joined in studio by my colleague, Jessica Schulberg. Hello. And my other colleague, Paul Blumenthal. Hello. So in the roller coaster of Donald Trump this week, he said, we're going to send more troops to Afghanistan or Not we're going to exactly. bomb Afghanistan. You know, he had said during the campaign, these wars are stupid. We can't win them. I was against them. We're going to get out of there. So this was a big deal. He said something warlike. It was very unspecific, right? It's it's really hard to summarize what he said. He talked a lot about victory. We're we're gonna win in Afghanistan. Um, but the kind of the most notable thing to me was he said, and I'm, I'm reading now a quote from his prepared remarks: "We will not talk about numbers of troops or plans for further military activities." So he didn't come out and say we're sending four thousand troops to Afghanistan, which is what the Pentagon has been quietly telling reporters is going to happen. Um, he didn't say we're going to bomb them more. It was it was all very, very vague. And it's hard to tell if that's because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Um, he, of course, tries to play it off as some kind of intentional strategic am- ambiguity. Uh, but the most likely scenario seems to be that he's not doing anything all that much different than what Obama was doing. Wait a minute. Is this not an escalation in that case? If it is an escalation, it would be a very modest escalation. If what the Pentagon was telling reporters is true, which is we're going to send 4,000 more troops to Afghanistan, 
that's not something out of the realm of possibility of what the Obama administration would do. Well, let's get, have a little recent history. We are in Afghanistan because we were pissed at the Taliban for the 9-11 attacks. Yep. We've been there ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was considered the forgotten war when Obama came to power and he surged, what, 30,000 additional troops there? Initially. So he actually brought the total troop number up to 100,000. I think by 2011 was the height of our troops. He kind of came into office saying... Iraq is the stupid bad war. We're going to end that one. We're going to devote resources from Iraq to Afghanistan because that's a good war. That's the one where we actually like have an enemy that we should be able to be and we're going to win. Um, the troop surge definitely worked in the sense that the Taliban lost a lot of uh, territory. Um, but predictably, as our troops started to go home, the Taliban started to regain territory. Yeah. And now we're in this sort of painful stalemate in a sense where we have between 8,000 and 12,000 troops there, depending on how you count it. The Obama administration would say 8,400. We can sort of help keep the Taliban at bay, but the Afghan army is not nearly strong enough to actually defend the country once we leave. And that has just sort of been the status quo for the past several years. So I guess one thing that I think about, you know, we've been in this war for, Arthur was saying, 16 years. Mm -hmm. This October, it'll be 16 years. I think Trump got that um, number wrong in his speech, too. And, and so, <laughs> Just so, you, you know. know, whether it was the Bush administration, the Obama administration, now the Trump administration, you know, we've always talked about an some kind of end in Afghanistan. But what would victory be in Afghanistan? You know, Trump says, oh, we're going to we're going to win. <laughs> but what would what did like, you know, the, the top military mm-hmm. advisors, pe- generals, Uh, and and other foreign policy thinkers think of as victory in Afghanistan. I think part of the problem is that that hasn't really been decided upon. I was just talking to a guy yesterday um, who's been deployed to Afghanistan four times. He's pretty high up there. And he said, you know, if we're going to talk about an end game, it's either going to be like resounding defeat. We defeat the Taliban. We blow them into submission. They can never make a comeback, which, you know, probably not likely. But if that's the goal, you know, we should come out and say it. Um, or we weaken them so much that they agree to come to some type of negotiated settlement. Um, if that that's probably more realistical, there's not a lot of talking about negotiations with the Taliban lately. Um, or we say, you know what, it's not our problem. We we can't really fix your problem. Like we're out of here. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. What about that? Just get <laughs> the hell out of there. Uh, what? Why is that so bad? Uh, the people who oppose it would say that it would create a safe haven for extremists, not just the Taliban, but al-Qaeda and ISIS, which already has a small presence there. Um, they would say that, you know, it's our duty to help the Afghan government become stronger and be able to take care of its people. You look back to a time when Afghanistan wasn't controlled by the Taliban and it was quite modern and people did have a lot more freedoms than they would have. And people reportedly showed Trump <laughs> a picture of women in miniskirts in uh, an earlier time to in say, that country. To say, look, this country is not hopeless. Women used to show off their upper legs. Yeah, a very, very <laughs> small number of people. In a, I don't think there's a lot of miniskirts yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a very out of context. Yeah, it was probably con- like... think that... You know, Kabul in the 1970s represented the entirety. Right. So just like pre-revolution Iran. Trump had said a while ago, you know, I'm going to just put my generals in charge, Mm -hmm. which, you know, you would tend to think, okay, well, they're going to do war. That's what generals are for. So help us with the the context of how this announcement of whatever it is Mm -hmm. came to light. Well, so going back even further, like Trump didn't really talk about Afghanistan specifically during the campaign. He talked broadly about like 
either he was kind of like anti-wasting U.S. blood and treasure abroad, but at the same time he was like going to bomb the shit out of terrorists. So it was sort of hard to like settle on what he wanted. And but you he, were you were quoting him there. You weren't being rude. <laughs> Barely. Um, but he didn't really talk about Afghanistan specifically. You have to go back to almost 2013, I believe, to see him really talking about Afghanistan. And back then he was oh saying God. Afghanistan is so stupid. We should pull out. We should get out immediately. This is a waste of our money. Um, but so he comes into office. He doesn't appear to really have any plan for Afghanistan. So, yeah, he tells the generals. He tells Mattis, like, you decide how many troops we should have. Like, I'm not going to deal with this. Um, which is sort of, in my opinion, a way of kind of uh, dodging blame or responsibility for a war which has no really desirable outcome. Uh, Mattis says, actually, I'm going to hold off. I'm, I'm going to wait until you develop a strategy. It was widely oh, is that what happened? That was in June, I believe. It was widely reported that Mattis wanted to bring more troops to Afghanistan, but, and this is slightly speculative, but I don't think unfairly so, he didn't really want to be left holding the buck when Trump decides this isn't going well. Why did you send all of our troops there? So nothing really happens for the first, how many months are we in? Seven, eight months of the administration. Finally, Trump comes out. Uh, the Washington Post had this incredible report on how he was just pissed that he had to like make this announcement that he had to. He's been screaming and yelling at his generals. Yeah, he's is like, what we've heard. these options are terrible. <laughs> like, why can't you come up with something better? You know, he was presented with all these crazy ideas. Like Eric Prince, the Blackwater founder, wanted to send all these contractors to Afghanistan. This this other billionaire wanted to go like reap all the mineral money from Afghanistan. Mercenaries, exactly. And he basically settles on a very modest escalation of the Obama administration strategy. Um, and you can see during this speech, I mean, it's like it's like the type of speech when you know he's not really, like his heart's not in it. Like he's reading off the teleprompter. He yeah. He's like pretty restrained. He's like not loving it the way he loves defending neo-Nazis. Um, so well, that's kind of where we are now. Yeah, I mean, it looks like to me that the generals sort of won this backroom battle. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that they... Uh, he told them to figure it out. So they're like, here, we want more war. Yeah, but it Go tell them. But it also looks like, you know, they finally got him to go on camera, to get on paper and take responsibility and say, this is my policy. Uh, you know, not just say like, oh, Madison Dunford, you know, they created some strategy and he can blame them mm -hmm. if it goes to shit. Which, he was, will. His, which was his he first will. plan, but it'll be harder now which that is, there's this I mean, televised his... address with him. I mean, the generals, I think you're making a good point. They won not only in getting to do what they want, they, they already had that authority. Now they've won in getting him to sort of publicly own this war that is not going to ever be politically Yeah, and popular. so this, this war is going to continue on further. Another you know, these, these if fourth. 4,000 people go there. Mm -hmm. You know, I think what we're working towards is some point after October 7th, 2019, an American soldier who was born after the war started mm -hmm. will die in Afghanistan. Right. And that's where we're going to be in two years. Now, Trump did say something uh, out of character. In addition to the fact that he was, you know, the, the temperament during the speech was not who he really is. He said that he had... Uh, uh, the realities of being in charge changed his mind. Yeah. He? he said, my first instinct was to pull out entirely. Um, but everybody says once you're in the Oval Office, you start to see things differently. There was some line of how he like read and studied in depth everything about the conflict, which yeah. I'm sorry, but I find <laughs> very hard to believe. <laughs> um, but yeah, he did basically admit that the generals changed his mind, which was like super rare for him to say my gut told me one thing, and then I decided that that, that that wasn't right. Well, that's interesting. That is interesting. All right. Afghanistan Afghanistan war. Uh, you're turning 16. 
in a few months. Your driver's uh, license 16. soon. Um, Big party. Yeah, happy birthday. Uh, Paul Blumenthal, Jessica Schulberg, thank you so much for coming in. I, I uh, Man, that's some uh, sort of d- dithering, some Trump weakness. Sad. We'll Sad. be right back. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by our executive producer, Nick Offenberg, and it was engineered by me. I'm Arthur Delaney, and this week we were joined by journalist and former NFL wide receiver Dante Stallworth, as well as HuffPost reporters Elise Foley, Travis Waldron, Jessica Schulberg, and Paul Blumenthal. So That Happened is available on Apple Podcasts. Check out the whole family of HuffPost podcasts in the iTunes store, and while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about it, uh, send an email to so that happened at HuffPost.com. I'll respond personally. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Except I won't see you, you'll hear me. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.